Hello and welcome to Enlightened Empaths, your community for the spiritually awakened. Today we have a guest with us, so please sit back and pour yourself a cup of tea. I really think you guys are going to enjoy this conversation. Gabriela Navarro is the creator and host of Latinx Supernatural, a podcast exploring the paranormal, spiritual, and mystical elements of Latin culture. In addition to being a Reiki practitioner and yoga teacher, her podcast features compelling conversations with traditional Latin American folk healers, practitioners of brujaria, a type of folk magic based in Latin America with influences from Africa, First Peoples of the Americas, the Caribbean, Middle East, and Catholic mysticism. Gabriella also explores the Latinx's culture's openness to the paranormal through stories of ghosts, extraterrestrials, Marian apparitions, and the unknown. Gabriella was born and raised in Los Angeles to Mexican parents who kept their traditions alive through storytelling and ritual. At an early age, she was introduced to time-honored traditions she hopes to preserve through the podcast. She's creating a platform of cultural exchange by highlighting a part of the Latinx culture which is seldom featured in mainstream media. She's also a practitioner of saint magic and believes rituals should be practiced with integrity. We're excited to get into that as well. So welcome, Gabriella. I wanted to start by asking you what motivated you to create your podcast. Thank you, Samantha. First of all, I just want to say thank you so much to both of you for having me on. Uh, so the thing that motivated me to start the podcast was, um, I uh, number one, I'm very proudly uh, Mexican American. Uh, my my parents, you know, definitely, you know, went through, uh, you know, that extent of keeping my culture alive for me. I think like one of the primary things was to keep these traditions and these rituals alive for the next generation. As you stated in my in my bio, one of the things that was really important to me is that, you know, in the media, Latinx people or people from, you know, Latin American descent, you know, were, were portrayed as, uh, uh, as kind of a, I, I would say like three main tropes, uh, the, the criminal, the drug dealer type uh, person, the um, hyper-sexualized uh, latin lover sexy lady type character and then the the final is um usually a character that is portrayed in kind of a subservient kind of role such as the maid or the custodian um or the housekeeper you know i grew up seeing these and i also grew up knowing that there was a lot more to my culture and to my identity than what i was seeing on film and television. I, I grew up in Los Angeles, which is a very diverse and eclectic city. And I, you know, was very blessed to kind of have access to so many different types of cultures and stuff like that. A few years ago, I moved to a part of the country where um, it was a little bit more segregated. And I was meeting people that for the first time, I kind of experienced like true microaggressions and true macroaggressions and and kind of like very real like racism to the point where I felt physically unsafe and I I think that the the empath in me yes I was I was hurt by it and and it and it broke my heart uh, that people would would make assumptions uh, about me you know based on on these types of tropes um, but the empath in me kind of dug a little bit deeper and realized that 
the reason that these people were making these assumptions about me or or that they, you know, they just assumed things about me that weren't true based on my skin color or based on my culture was because they hadn't had any exposure to anything else but what they had seen in TV and film. Um, and that's for a variety of reasons, you know, perhaps they led a very insulated life or they just, you know, had never, you know, for, for a few people. And, and this is, you know, this is people I was uh, interacting with very educated, Ivy League educated. They, uh, I was one of the first people of color that they were interacting with. Um, I remember one, one time, uh, I, I don't know if you guys have seen my, my picture. I'll send you a picture of me, but I'm, I'm, I'm a brown woman. <laughs> and uh, somebody asked, uh, and this is a very real question. And, and I think that they were trying to compliment me. They said, oh my God, where did you get your tan? And I think that they thought that wow. I, <laughs> and they, they thought that I had gotten my tan from like a tanning salon. So, uh, so, and, and they were truly trying to compliment me and they were like, uh, very sincerely, you know, they were wanting to, to have their skin look a little bit more like mine and they were wanting to know what tanning boot, uh, salon I went to. And I was, I was born with my skin color. And, and that to me just was like, oh my God, like they, like, you know, this person who's like Ivy League educated, like really believes that, that uh, my skin color, you know, was, was painted on and, or, or sprayed on. <laughs> so I wanted to, for people outside of my culture, to kind of expose people to a different part of it that's not often portrayed in, in mainstream media and everything with them. Um, you know, Latinx people are, are being very stigmatized today within the realm of politics. And there's so much more to us than those three tropes that I just, you know, listed the, the criminal, the, the, the fiery, sexy Latina and, and the, the custodian. Um, you know, I come from a people, uh, very magical people. I come from a people of healers. I come from a people that are very spiritual. And I come from a people that are very in touch with the earth um, and very in touch with, you know, kind of um, protecting the planet. And, and I think that's, that's so beautiful. And, it, and it's something that wasn't being demonstrated out in the world. Um, so so that's kind of, you know, one, the, the reason why I wanted to create the podcast for people outside of my culture, but for people within the culture, when immigrants come to the United States or, you know, for a lot of Latino Americans, the, the border crossed them, that we didn't, you know, they didn't cross the border. Uh, it, it's funny, I was seeing a, an interview with Eva Longoria recently, and she's a, I think she's like a ninth generation American, but she's Mexican American. And her family actually grew up like on the Texas-Mexican border. So, uh, so for a lot of us, we were already here before this, you know, this even became uh, the United States. Well, tell us what people can find and experience on your podcast. Yeah. So yeah. So for the for the people within the Latinx community, what I wanted to do is create um, a podcast that where I would have a platform to highlight and spotlight these people, right? Highlight and spotlight spiritual practitioners. So within our culture, we have something called curanderos. And these are traditional, traditional Latin American folk healers. And they use a number of techniques to, to heal people. Most of it has to do with kind of earth medicine, using plants, using herbs, using, um, you know, plant tinctures and herbal oils. And 
using kind of more natural approaches to healing, like um, we have something called sobadas, which are traditional uh, types of massages. And then there's, they also address kind of like the mind, the energy and the spirit. And, and through that, we have something called limpias, which are spiritual cleansings. Uh, there's other things called temascas, which are Mexican sweat lodges. And all these things are meant to kind of uh, approach healing in a very holistic way. So the physical, the mental, and the spiritual and the energetic kind of healing. And I do also want to acknowledge that a lot of these practices, they're influenced uh, from, from kind of three main cultures. So, so the first one is the, the first peoples uh, of the Americas, right? So the, the folks that were already here, you know, whether you, you label them as Native Americans or the indigenous people of the Americas. The second is uh, a lot of the influence comes from colonialism. So when the Europeans came over and they colonized, they brought over Catholicism. And so that was a huge influence. So when you go get a limpia, yeah, a lot of the, the you know, the, the prayers that are said over you, they're, they're, you know, they're praying to the moon and the stars and the sun uh, because that was kind of the original, you know, thing that, that people kind of worshipped. And they also bring in the saints and Jesus Christ and La Virgen de Guadalupe, who is uh, Mother Mary. And then there's also, uh, you know, there was African uh, slave trade. And so when uh, African slave trade happened, a lot of the, the beliefs and the rituals that, you know, that came with with those slaves were were kind of kind of cross-cultured and it created like this cross-functional kind of healing tradition called curanderismo what i love 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 about so many of the things you're talking about gabriella are that the storytelling from when you were or you a child having that culture passed down and that goes that is worldwide and we've lost a lot of that with technology with this Families that aren't as, as interconnected as they used to be. Families don't live in the same generational home the way that they used to. And that's a fairly new phenomenon in, in this country anyway. And in a lot of places around the world, the fact that you're keeping that alive. And I'm a huge, huge believer that knowledge negates ignorance. And I don't mean that in a judgy way, but when people don't know of a culture or of a people or of a situation or even a food, they're hesitant, they're confused, there may be some fear involved. So not only with the work you're doing, but with the podcast, it's helping people realize that it is there is a unity with this. One of the things that you mentioned in your bio that I am absolutely fascinated with is the saint magic. So if could you tell us maybe some of your favorite saints or rituals or what that even is, because I think for a lot of folks that are listening, they may not even understand what Saint Magic is. For sure. Um, so Saint Magic is, uh, so, so it's, Saint Magic is something that I've been practicing for a really long time, and I didn't realize it was called Saint Magic. I kind of just classified it as a ritual under curanderismo or brujeria, which is um, Latin American witchcraft. Um, but uh, so a couple of my favorite saints to work with is, um, one of the, so the first one is uh, Saint Dymphna, and uh, she's the patron saint of uh, mental health. So you call upon her to kind of, uh, you know, I guess help you with, uh, you know, kind of gaining some clarity and stuff like that. And uh, one of the things that I kind of like to kind of make clear to people about 
this sort of magic is that you have to approach it with a sense of a sense of proactiveness, right? So when I do a novena candle, which is a type of candle that is traditionally used in curanderismo and brujería um, in Latin America, and you know I, I put up a candle, I dress it, I you know I I put some herbs and some oils on it, and I you know I try to work with this with this saint or with this entity is that I'm not just going to light the candle and say a prayer and just, you know, kind of, you know, wait things to come knocking on my door. I struggle with my mental health at times, as I think we all do, um, especially kind of in these times when so many traumatic things are happening. And so I decided to light a candle for St. Dimpna. Shortly after that, I, I'm sure that, you know, both of you know, and I think, Denise, that you've kind of worked in, in a in the mental health field or adjacent to it, it's it's really hard sometimes to find a good doctor or to get the proper diagnosis or stuff like that. And so I, I prayed that, you know, kind of she would intercede on my behalf. And uh, shortly after I did that ritual, um, I was able to find an amazing doctor that works great with me. I was able to get the correct diagnosis, and I've been doing really great since then. One of the other things that I have uh, that I have an experience with is um, or, or that I that I uh, that I work with very closely, especially in these times, is Santo Toribio, and he is the patron saint of immigrants. There's many stories about him kind of helping, you know, people along the borderlands, along those deserts, him providing them with water and food and kind of uh, guiding them into a safe direction. And then it's after the fact that people realize who it was. It was, it's so funny. Uh, when I first started working with him, I met, I was at a taco stand of all places, uh, which there's like a dozen of the, a million of those here in Los Angeles. And I met somebody that had a personal experience with him. So he was, he was driving his truck at night in the middle of the desert. So I'm sure this was somewhere in like northern Mexico. And his truck broke down and it was the middle of the night. There's just pitch darkness all around him. And out of nowhere comes this man. And he happens to have the correct tools and things to fix his truck. And so this man fixes his truck and he goes along his way. The man doesn't charge him any money or anything. And a few days later, he's over at a friend's house. And you guys know like those little saint cards that you get at, at some churches where it's like a picture of a saint and on the back there's a prayer? Yeah. So he sees one of these cards with the photo of this man on it. And he, sa- he asks his friend, who is, who is that? And he goes, oh, that's Santo Toribio. He's the patron saint of immigrants. He's a Mexican saint. And he goes, no, that, that, that can't be. That's the man who fixed my truck. And ever Ooh. since then, yeah. <laughs> and ever since then, he has become, you know, very devout to Santo Toribio. And he makes the pilgrimage to his, um, his monastery, to his church. He's located in Jalisco, Mexico um, every year. So, uh, so yeah, so there's, there's so many kind of stories like that in, in Latin America where people just have like these amazing encounters. I was having a conversation with a friend recently and, and he was like, yeah, our lives kind of feel like magical realism where we're kind of in this physical world, but there's always this, this tie to the spiritual, this openness to it. Wow. I love that he died in 1928. Okay, I don't love that. Let me rephrase that. I I really like it when we have saints who are modern, 
Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Who we can actually, like Padre Pio, you can YouTube him giving mass, which I just mm-hmm. think is so cool. And I think it's neat that we have this wonderful saint of immigrants who was alive in the 20th century and really understands some of the issues that we are dealing with now. So with a lot of, so I've never practiced saint magic, but what you're describing kind of sounds like what I do because I get those candles all the time. I say novenas a lot, but I've never considered it magic. I've considered it prayer. Yeah, I think uh, I think it's uh, interesting. I think anybody can kind of label it what it is. You know, different cultures may call it different things, but at the end of the day, you know, you're connecting with this mystical element. And so I like to think of it as magic. And again, has all of these influences. It has influences from the indigenous, you know, the the European kind of Catholic mysticism comes in. And then there's like also African influences. And that's where like the dressing of the candles comes in and you kind of dress the candle with, with specific oils. And, you know, you make offerings to the saints and and stuff like that. So, uh, so yeah, I, I like to think of it as, as magic because you're connecting with like this mystical essence. And it does feel magical when they do intercede on your behalf. I love when, um, so St. Jude, the saint of impossible causes, I was always taught that when you pray to him, if he answers your request or if he inter- intercedes on your behalf, you have to promise publication. Did you guys grow up with that? Like when I would get the Sunday newspaper, I would always look in the classified section because you would always see a little, at least one or two little squares in the classified section that would say, thank you, St. Jude, for answering my prayer. And I just love this idea of St. Jude being like, yeah, I'll answer your prayer, but you got to give me a little something, something in return. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I've never heard of that. That's really cool. It might just be a Northern thing. I don't know, but that's now you can go just to the St. Jude website and you can, you can post there if he's answered your prayer. But I, I did it in my little Southern newspaper here. He answered a prayer for me years ago and I, called up the newspaper and paid for a little ad and put my thank you in there because I was just always taught that's that's what you do with St. Jude. You've got to publish, you know, some evidence that he did help you. And it's it's very comforting to go onto his website and read all the stories of how he answered people's prayers. That's really cool. I feel like we should do that for all the saints. I know. It'd be <laughs> nice to give them all a little bit of credit. Yeah. Is, is there anything like when St. Toribio, when he is appearing to people, is there anything where others can go, oh, that's definitely him? Like, does he always dress the same way or does he always look the same way? Well, he has a very specific look to him. Um, He died when he was quite young. I believe it was like early yeah late late 20s so he's just like this young guy he's he he was mexican so you know he's tan brown skin i don't know i haven't heard specifics about like if he's wearing anything specific but um he does offer people food and water and you know water specifically being so important because you're out in the desert so one of the main offerings for him is water I like to put out some um, Perrier for him uh, just to give him some, something a little more fancy because he's doing a lot of hard work these days. <laughs> so see, you give him a little something, something in return too. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's the cycle. I love it. Yeah. So on your podcast, you also have people sharing some really cool ghost stories. Oh, yes. Do you have any like favorite ghost stories <laughs> you could share with us? 
I love ghost stories. So that passion of mine came from my father. My father is just obsessed with the paranormal. And even at like probably I was way too young to listen to some of these stories, but he would, you know, tell them to us. I think that the most popular kind of folk tale that comes from Latin America is uh, the tale of La Llorona. So La Llorona was, so there's different versions of her story. She's a very complex character in kind of uh, folk, folk legends. But kind of the gist of her story is that she, uh, she kind of went insane for one reason or another. There's kind of different reasons out there. And she drowned her children. One of the things that kids are told when they're growing up, you know, to, to behave is, well, you know, if, if you don't go to bed or if you don't eat your vegetables, La Llorona is going to get you. Um, but one of, the, one of the main reasons why we're taught about her is that, you know, a lot of people in Latin America, you know, they live along the, you know, in these kind of remote villages or little, what they call pueblitos there. And they're along bodies of water. So like they're along rivers or lakes. And to avoid further, you know, children drowning, uh, children were, you know, kind of given this entity to kind of fear and so that they wouldn't, uh, you know, go by the river at night or, you know, go by the lake at night or go, go to these bodies of water that could potentially be dangerous for them uh, without kind of uh, proper supervision. So that's one of them. Um, my dad, uh, so he grew up uh, next to, I think it's the largest cemetery in Mexico. Like he, so he didn't go play at a park like a normal child. He used to go play in the cemetery. And the cemeteries, um, at least in, I, I think it, it's throughout all of Latin America, but they're very similar to the ones in New Orleans where they're kind of above ground and they're very like beautiful and they have like these beautiful like kind of monasteries and, and stuff like that. And, and because the cemetery is so large, you can get lost in it for days. And so my dad had have all these stories of like, you know, seeing ghosts there and how neighborhood kids would, would dare him to sleep in the cemetery and, and see what he could encounter and, and stuff like that. So, uh, so yeah, I, I definitely grew up with a, with a lot of ghost stories. And I think that's why I'm, I'm so fascinated with the paranormal. I'm so drawn to it. Well, you know, that makes me think I was raised and I don't know if it's my family or my culture, but I was raised to always just buck up. You know, don't talk about your emotions. Ghosts aren't real. Just, you know, go to school and be a good kid. I feel like listening to you and from listening to my other Mexican-American friends that it might be a little bit easier to be an empath in your family because you're encouraged to share and express and talk about spooky paranormal things, but also religious things and traditions. Am I reading that correctly or, or not? Yeah, you know, I've uh, when I discovered the term empath, I thought, oh, is every Latin American person an empath? Because we're uh, <laughs> we're so in touch with our emotions, and and we definitely we definitely don't hide them. Like if if we're sad, you, you'll know it. <laughs> I, so I've been to funerals here in the states, and they're very very different than funerals that I've you know been to in Mexico. In in Mexico. Uh, 
the the funerals, you know, people are if you're in pain and if you're brokenhearted, you're letting those tears out. You're you're crying it out. Often there is tequila involved. <laughs> uh, I remember when my when my uncle died. Uh, one of my uncles showed up with like twelve bottles of tequila, and I think that they were all out like by the by that morning. <laughs> Um, See, yeah. I think that's good, though. My uncle by marriage was a priest, and he yeah. served for 25 years in the Bahamas. Uh -huh. And when he died, we went to his funeral, and I have never seen emotion like that. And it was the first time I realized, oh, I think I'm kind of uncomfortable with raw emotion. Mm -hmm. Because all the Bahamians stood there and sobbed like yeah. hysterically and loudly. And when they were lowering his coffin into the grave, the women all waved their handkerchiefs and said, goodbye, Father Pat, goodbye. Mm -hmm. It was so moving and heartbreaking and beautiful. But inside, I was like, wow, this is a really new experience for me because I'm used to quiet, yeah. <laughs> hushed, whispered you know, funerals where nobody really talks except to say this pound cake is a little dry afterwards, you know? I mean, so I, I envy that personally. I, I think that's such a healthy way to go and express that grief. Yeah, emotions can, uh, you know, um, as a Reiki practitioner, you know, a lot of what we're taught is that emotions can get trapped in your body, right? And and that that stress that's kind of gets stuck in your body. And, and when you know, one of the reasons why people go to Reiki is to help release that. I think that's why kind of in our culture, it's, it's kind of okay to cry. It's okay to, you know, when we laugh, we laugh out loud. Uh, when we sing, we sing loudly. I, you know, I don't know if you've ever had the, the pleasure of being in, in the presence of like a live mariachi band, but it's, it's, it's like a powerful thing. You know, it kind of affects, like it gives you goosebumps all up and down your body. You can really feel it. But I think it's, it, it comes from like, this inner knowing that uh that those emotions need to be let out you know they can't get kind of stuck in your body in curanderismo there's there's a i guess it's a, a, a sort of um I, I guess like a spiritual ailment ailment it's called susto and susto is um basically it happens when you've received a type of shock or fright that in the moment you could not kind of express that you were shocked or frightened or um, susto can also come from like a very profound grief. So if you, you know, somebody close to you suddenly dies, that can be a susto. But susto often comes from like trauma, like, a you know, being in a car accident. So, right. So in well, when you're in the car accident, you can't like, you know, scream and cry. Everything just happens too quickly. And, um, and Susto is believed to kind of stay in your body and you have to go through kind of like these healing processes to release it. So I think that's kind of where, where that comes from, why, why we're so expressive and we're kind of okay with our, with the kind of expressing our emotions. Um, that's beautiful. <laughs> I will say that, uh, some, uh, some of the, there is, there is still kind of, you know, machismo in our culture as well, uh, which, you know, hopefully we'll, we'll try to smooth that out and resolve that in the generations to come. But my dad, you know, strong kind of tough Mexican men uh they uh they won't cry in front of you but I think inside like like my father they're they're teddy bears at heart so <laughs> so yeah I love your correlation because where I grew up was predominantly Italian and Portuguese 
-hmm. And so when you were describing the funeral, I immediately flashed to going to the big Italian funerals and you'd wait for it and it was going to happen. The Italian death whale where someone would throw themselves on the coffin and there would be screaming and crying and very demonstrative. But you're right. You don't bottle anything up. To validate again is that when my ex-husband and I, we lived outside of Tucson and we were the minority. It wasn't a Caucasian population. It was us. And it's very different, but it's also a fascinating to immerse yourself in. It brings it all into play that we're all damn well the same. The cultural differences, how we uh, uh, you know, talk to the saints. My, my lineage uh, on my mother's side is from uh, Canada, so French-Canadian. And there's a cathedral, Saint-Anne-de-Beaupre, which is also a saint uh, for French-Canadian Catholics. And you go there and you walk into this huge cathedral and there are all of these crutches and wheelchairs and everything you're talking about, it's about that raw faith and belief and trust that's been passed down from generation to generation and generation. And I love that. And I think what you're doing with your work is you're, yes, informing people about the Latinx community, but also building a bridge to other ethnicities so that we can come together in unity. Can you yeah. recommend a saint? For empaths? Oh, that's such a great question. Hmm. You know, I'm going to go with the first one that comes to my mind. And it's, uh, she's, I don't think that she's considered a saint in our culture, but she's extremely revered. She's considered the, the mother of uh, kind of Latin America. Um, and she's the patron saint of, or the, the patroness of Mexico, which is La Virgen de Guadalupe, and she's Mother Mary. And I'm sure, you know, a lot of people know that story. It's, it's you know, incredibly popular, but she appeared to an indigenous man named Juan Diego. And now there's, you know, that big uh, ca uh, cathedral built to her in, in, a, in Mexico City. But I think that she's a great um, kind of entity to work with for for empaths she's you know she's our mother she's she's the divine feminine she's the one that's you know there to comfort us and to console us and she was you know she was jesus's mom and and uh, i think that you know kind of having that maternal love is something that that every empath needs is like someone that just comes and says you know it's it's going to be okay and that'll kind of give you that that motherly advice i think that she's someone that's really great for empaths to work with i agree mother mary rocks and she always always answers prayers and if anyone isn't familiar with the story of guadalupe I won't retell it here because it is popular, but one cool thing, when she did appear to him and she asked him to gather up roses and bring them to the bishop and he, you know, dropped the roses onto the bishop's desk and her image appeared on his um, tanga or robe. What I think is so neat is you can visit that robe with her image on it today in the museum in Mexico and scientists have researched it. They can't find paint on there. They don't know to this day with all the science we have how that beautiful image of Mother Mary got onto his robe. Yeah, and then the other cool thing is that um they've done these like magnified images uh close-ups of her eyes and in her irises there is um other images as well. And uh and yeah, you're right. They they can't um like the substances that this um this they they call it a manta is made out of, they can't they can't figure out you know, where they are, you know, where they're from, or kind of, you know, how this indigenous man who was incredibly poor, uneducated, 
um, you know, at the time, you know, colonialism was happening. So there was a lot of violence, a lot of oppression, how he would have gotten a hold of, of something that, you know, d- didn't even exist at the time. And when you pray to her, oftentimes it's not magic, but it feels like magic because you will smell roses, I think yeah. is, is such a cool, wonderful thing. So Gabriella, for anyone listening to this show, we've had a lot of people write in and ask, as empaths, people feel so stressed and bombarded and overwhelmed by the negative news coming to us about the borders. Now, if you have family who's affected by this crisis, I think that's a whole separate issue. But what if you're just an empath who's reading the news or watching the news and is like, I want to do something? What can people do just from their homes, just from their own intuitive, empathic, prayerful practice? to help bring light to this situation? So I think that one thing is working with Santo Toribio. His candles are commonly found in Latin American grocery stores. Um, and if you can't find his specific candle, you can just get a plain white candle and, you know, kind of offer it to him um, because he is the patron saint of immigrants and refugees. And yeah, you're right. There, There is, you know, there's a lot of violence going on and, and, it's absolutely heartbreaking, right, to see all these things in the news. Um, I think one of the things also is that, you know, again, I, I mentioned earlier is that you can, number one, start spiritually. Start spiritually working, praying, um, doing rituals if you're open to that. You know, whatever your denomination is, like, get in touch with that. And then, you know, a lot of, you know, what, what both of you teach and what, what both of you discuss is to tune in to your own self and follow your intuition about how you can help. And that's going to manifest in so many different ways. For me, um, after I started working with Santo Toribio, um, you know, I, I, I felt this profound sound, sense of helplessness. And as you can imagine, for a Latinx person seeing these images of, you know, kids in cages in all, all, all these deaths and, and the shooting that recently happened in El Paso, it's absolutely heartbreaking. And I, I keep thinking, you know, that could have been any, any one of us. That could have been my mother. That could have been my father. That could have been my brother. That could have been me. That could have been me. Uh, and even even now, there's cases of American-born uh, Latinx people who are targeted by ICE and they're deported, and it's actually a mistake because they're born here. So, you know, kind of living in that fear, it's it's really scary. These times are are scary, and it's and it's hard to deal with. But what has helped me personally the most is to get in touch with my roots, uh, get in touch with my spirituality through these rituals, through working with these saints, and then paying attention, you know, get, you know, paying attention to what's coming up after I do these rituals, because you're going to be surprised, you know, if, if you, uh, it's, you're going to get the heroes calling, right? You're going to be called to do certain things and you better be prepared for it because it's going to come if you, if you really want to help. And if you truly, you're truly, your heart is in it. Uh, these saints and these entities, they'll know and spirit will guide you. For me, uh, the way that that manifested is that shortly after I started working with him, um, I met a woman 
I was at an event and she's running for Los Angeles City Council. And to tell you the truth, um, I'm not very interested in politics. <laughs> I, I pay attention to it, you know, just to kind of be informed. And I mostly just pay attention to it, you know, on the national level, like whenever there's presidential debate, that kind of thing. I never thought and I never knew how much change you can affect at a local level. And so I decided to become a volunteer for uh, this, uh, this candidate's campaign because one of her core policies is to protect immigrant rights. And it is to protect just human rights in general. You know, we, we have a, a huge uh, homeless population here in Los Angeles that is growing every single day. I think it's affecting the entire state of California as well. She's, you know, coming from a place of a lot of integrity and wanting to, to kind of, you know, put, put more funding in certain things and make this better for people. And so that's kind of how it showed up for me. And I think for every single person, when they answer this calling and when you know they start kind of getting in touch with their faith and they you know they ask for that guidance okay how can I help how can I make this better instead of you know as an empath it's very easy to kind of just sit at home want a cocoon under your blanket and watch a romantic comedy and kind of pretend like all this isn't happening but I think as empaths, one of our responsibilities is that we're, as empaths, we're so in touch with our humanity. And right now, it seems like a lot of people are losing their humanity, right, or rejecting their humanity. So I think that us as empaths, we're in positions of leadership, of kind of a spiritual type of leadership, where we need to kind of lead by example in being in touch with our humanity and, you know, reaching out to people and saying, how can I help or, you know, following that kind of internal guidance system. And that can be, you know, and I understand that not everyone has the bandwidth. You know, some people are just barely getting, you know, trying to get by on their day to day. They're really busy. Everyone's really busy. But you can even do something as simple as, you know, reaching out to a local activist or a local nonprofit and, you know, saying, hey, can I, can I make you guys um, lunch uh, for every Friday, uh, once, you know, every, every, every other week on a Friday, can I bring you guys in lunch? You know, I, I worked a nonprofit and, you know, trust me, those people, they do not get paid enough. <laughs> and even just having like a small treat and just knowing that somebody in their community is appreciating what they're doing in kind of, um, you know, protecting human rights and, and trying to make the world a better place, that goes a long way. So you can impact, you know, and, and make things better on, on, a, on a local level, on a national level. There's so many little things that you can do. And I think a lot of people, they feel helpless and they feel like, oh, what's little old me going to be able to do to fix this, what seems like this overwhelming issue, right? And, and you can do it in such small ways. Very good point. And we have uh, a lot of people coming up from the border to Portland, Maine became a sanctuary city and to see the divide. And it is a very, very, very delineated People either are exactly what you're saying, they want to help, they want to do whatever they can, or people are coming from a place of fear. And I'm not saying either is better or worse, it's just, I think, human nature. So, but exactly what you said as far as everything that we can do as individuals to raise our vibration, to be kind, to offer help, 
is going to help someone else raise their vibration as well. And that's so, so, so important right now for, for all of the things facing us as a country and also as a community of empaths and worldwide. Yeah, those are great ideas and wonderful reminders that we aren't powerless, that our prayers matter, that our actions matter, and that there are little and big things we can do each day, each week, each month, each year to make this world a little bit brighter. And your work is part of it and your podcast is part of it. Can you tell people where to find you and how to listen to your podcast? Absolutely, yes. Uh, so uh, the podcast can basically be found on um, most podcast platforms, you know, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Uh, there's a bunch of like kind of new podcast apps that are coming up. And so the podcast can be found there. I'm on all kind of forms of social media, Twitter, Instagram, and uh, Facebook. Uh, Instagram is the one that I'm kind of most accessible and most active on. And uh, you can kind of find the podcast on all the platforms under Latinx Supernatural. And that's your Instagram as well? Yes. Okay, perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your stories and your wonderful, inspiring ideas. We really appreciate it. As I said before we hit record, Denise and I already feel like we know you, so it's just an, a treat to get to talk to you this way as well. Thank you so much. And I did want to kind of acknowledge, you know, one other thing is that, you know, now more than ever, you know, people like yourself stepping up and being allies for a person like me, you know, I, my, I just started my podcast and I, I really am trying to, to kind of make a difference and I'm coming from a place of, of integrity. And so for folks like yourself, you know, that have a much larger platform to kind of step up and kind of be an ally by featuring me on your show, I, I really appreciate it. And, um, you know, that's, that's another kind of small thing that people can do is use your platform to highlight other people and highlight these issues. It, it, goes, it goes a really long way. Wow. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I, I really appreciate all the work that you're doing. And I hope our listeners check you out and connect with you on social media and listen to your podcast. It's really good. And it, you could, your authenticity truly does come across. Thank you so much. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We will post ways to connect with Gabriella in our show notes and on our Facebook page. We hope you enjoyed this. As always, don't forget to show up, do great work, and share your light. Bye-bye. Take care.